0: Good morning why don't you join me in welcoming each other all of our campuses and those joining us online Can we just put our hands together right now celebrate family i love being able to stream live to all the campuses it just brings us together at another level makes it feel like we're having one church in a bunch of different rooms isn't that cool with all of our family at church of the king around the region at the gulf coast on the south shore at orleans justice center uh, we're just loving jesus together this morning and i really enjoy it and i love being with you here i love being being able to come and share with you especially during this series because this elevate series is uh, to me should be kind of a, a standard for our lives. You know, one of the passages in scripture that speaks to this that I've, I've kind of adopted as one of my life theme verses is uh, from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. And it says this The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that grows brighter and brighter until the full day has come. And you know, that's what God has designed for our lives. That God's intention for each one of us is that our lives continually and generally should always be moving up and to the right amen isn't that right and uh, and we like that we like the idea of that when we think about businesses maybe our investments economy maybe the things that are going on in our relationships but but the but the fact is is that no matter what your station or assignment in life that god's plan for you is to grow and for there to be a constant sense of movement not not without its ups and downs and bumps along the way but generally speaking Our lives should go up and to the right. How many of you are excited about that? Think God wants to do that in your life? And that's what this series is all about. We're we're learning to elevate every area of our lives, to go to the next level. Wherever we are, there's always room for growth. And that's our encouragement and our prayer for you in this series is just wherever you are in every area of your life we want you to just move to the next level. Just take the next step of faith, the next act of obedience, and uh, see all that God has for you. So this week we're talking about elevating your perspective. We're going to be talking about gaining a new perspective uh, in different areas of our lives and, and moving from being, uh, being inundated and weighed down by the, our life and circumstances to being able to gain a higher, better, more accurate perspective from God's point of view. And uh, it's so important. It's such an important part of, of who we we are. I think think about, when I think about perspective, it reminds me of a story. Uh, something that happened to me about 25 or so years ago. I was, uh, Chris and I were first married and I was in construction. I was, we were building houses and doing restorations and things. And in, uh, in upstate New York, most of what we did was historic restorations and buildings that were, you know, a couple hundred years old in the mountains, in the Catskill Mountains there. And uh, my, my brother-in-law and I were working on this old house. It was about a 200-year-old house. And uh, we had started renovating it on the outside. And we, we were putting in new siding and replacing all the exterior of the house. And so one day I, I set up scaffolding. I started removing all the old siding. And I started at the ground. And I worked my way up and set up scaffolding. And I had worked up past the second floor and was just getting into the attic space. And uh, just as I crossed over into, uh, from the ceiling of the second floor of the house into the attic, I was pulling off a piece of siding. And under the siding, there was a knot hole in the sheathing of the house in the attic, in the attic space on the gable end of the house. So I pulled this piece of siding off. And when I did and revealed this little hole in the siding, literally, it seemed like millions, but literally hundreds of bats came flying through this tiny little hole, like a solid stream of bats, man. It was like an Alfred Hitchcock movie, you know, the birds. I was like, you know, they're like bouncing off me and just, it, it, it was crazy. And so I knew I had to do something. So I did the only thing that, you know, a reasonable grown adult man should do. I started screaming like a little girl. I mean, literally, I'm screaming. I'm 25 feet in the air. These bats are just, you know, flying out at me. And I start screaming like a girl. Crazy. It didn't work. So I did the only next thing I could think of. I jumped off the scaffolding 25 feet into a pile of old siding and nail, rusty nails. And I figured, you know, that ought to do it. I hit the ground and, and man, because listen, here's the thing from my perspective, these bats, the minions of Satan, that were designed by, by the spawn of Satan himself to bite me and turn me into a blood-sucking vampire. I mean, that's the only reason they exist, right? So I'm diving off into this deal and they're, they're just crazy. And of course, the bats had a completely different perspective of what was going on. They're thinking, this guy's wrecking my peace and quiet. I gotta find another dark, quiet place to sleep. And the reason I know that that's what they were thinking, and again, you're saying, well, were the bats talking to you? No, they didn't say anything necessarily, but here's what happened. When I hit the ground, in the, as I'm laying there on the pile of rusty nails and siding, I realized that one of the bats had landed on the bill of my, the bill of my baseball cap, and it was hanging there. Close encounter, dude. That's exactly what I thought, man. I was like, whoa. And I, so, uh, so, once again, my, my strategy was to scream like a little girl. And uh, I tried to knock the hat off. And, and, and instead of attacking me and trying to you know, turn me into a, a v- zombie or something, the bat just fell off the hat and crawled into the wood siding and hid in the dark spot, in a, in a dark, quiet space there. Because he had a different perspective. Your perspective causes you to make decisions that are not always in keeping with truth or reality, right? perspective is a very powerful thing and an important part of our lives because it affects everything that we do, all the things that we, thoughts that we think, the emotions that we feel, and even the decisions and the behaviors that we begin to take on. They're all infect, affected by and informed by our perspective. And so today I've got good news for you. Wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, the good news is, is that God does not want you to live with a limited perspective, with a, with a perspective that's confined or defined by just your own idea, ideas, your own circumstances, and the things that are going on in your life. God wants you to live begin to, begin to live as a believer with his perspective. Uh, in fact, um, I think that, that one of the things that so predominantly affects our perspective is our own self-centered desires and will, our, our very will, and just the things that we want in life. And you could call it good or bad or whatever; it, it may be indifferent. But the fact is, is that most of us live with a relatively self-centered perspective. I, I remember when I was a kid, a teenager. Um, you know, before I came to know the Lord, and of course, not a lot of you know my story. I, I was a pretty wild kid. I, I, I uh, yeah. So anyway, I, the thing was is that the, all of the stuff that I did, all of the behavior, all of the all of the stuff that I did to try to kind of fulfill myself and do, I wasn't like try I didn't set out in life to be This horrible person. My goal in life was not to be the biggest idiot that ever lived, even though that's what it looked like from the outside. I I wasn't trying to cause my parents sleepless nights and concern and worry and anxiety and take years off of their life, which is, although that's kind of what happened. That wasn't my goal. My goal, just like so many other people, was simply to be happy. I I just wanted to do the things that seemed interesting to me. I just wanted to try to experience fulfillment and satisfaction and joy and happiness and pleasure and excitement. And I I think a lot of people are like that. Can anybody relate to that? that's just what we do, amen? But the problem was, because my perspective was so self-centered, the consequences of my decisions were very destructive. They were, they were detrimental in my relationships. they were detrimental in my own personal life. They were dangerous a lot of times, mostly illegal. Uh, but the fact is is that the fact is that my motivation wasn 't to be a nutball it 's just that 's what happens when you live self centered and without perspective and so the, the good news, though, is that if that's your life, if that's, the, if that's the case where you are, the Bible says that when you're born again, when you come into a relationship with Christ, you are, you are transformed and you have the opportunity to gain a new perspective. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new crea- creature. The old things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. And, and one of the things that becomes new in us is the opportunity to gain a, a new perspective the opportunity to gain god's perspective of our life we live in the minutiae based on our will and our desires it's very short very short-sighted and self-centered but god is offering us this chance to to live our lives from his vantage point point. one of the other things i think that really affects us uh, in our perspective is are the circumstances that we face i mean the fact is is that we we all face adversity we face challenges dif- difficulties uh, defeat you know betrayal in relationships there 's lots of things negatively that happen to us and sometimes even positively that can ha- that can affect our perspective uh, in an adverse way or affect, give us a perspective that 's not necessarily true it 's not based in the in the truth of scripture or the person of god and uh, and and I think that sometimes when we begin to live and ju- make judgments and dis decisions based on our circumstances, it causes us because of our limited view to, to fall into thought patterns and behaviors that are less than what God has for us. I remember one time I was uh, flying out of Manila. We had, I'd been there for a conference. We were flying out of the Philippines and the day that we were scheduled to fly out, it was during their monsoon season, and, uh, and listen, if you've never traveled in, this, in Southeast Asia, that, that's another level of rain. I just want you to know that. Like I know we're you know familiar with some serious rain here in South Louisiana. But uh, man, they, they got some serious rain going on over there. So we got to the airport, I was fly, flying alone. I got to the airport and got on the plane. I thought there's no way we're gonna fly in this. I mean, it's coming down in buckets sideways. I know some of you guys have been, been down there, so you know what I'm talking about. But it was like, it was another level. And I thought there's no way they're gonna fly in this. But I guess because it's like that all the time, they just do anyway. So we get on the plane and, I'm, and we're sitting on the tarmac and I'm looking out the window and it's literally just, I mean, I, you can't even fathom that the rain can come down this much and, and and I hear the pilot say hey we 've been cleared for takeoff and we go out and i 'm thinking, What in the world? How in the world are they going to do this? So we get to the end of the thing and uh, and and the pilot just you know puts the pedal to the metal, starts rolling down this thing the whole plane's shaking the wind's blowing, and i 'm telling you, have you guys ever been there where you 're taking off in a lot of turbulence and, and literally i 'm sinking my fingernails into the armrests and pulling up on that thing and me and Jesus are going to take this I'm praying me and Jesus are going to pl- take this plane off I mean if if just by the power of my will and prayer this plane is getting off the ground you know what I'm saying and I'm praying and that thing just rah, and it's beating us all to pieces and I'm pulling up on those armrests come on Jesus and, uh, and, and finally about 25,000 feet we broke through the storm and the weather was clear you ever done that? You ever experienced that in an airplane? And a lot of times we, we're, we're so affected by our, by our circumstances that we're down here in the storm and all we can see is the cloud overcast skies and the heavy rain. But if, you, if we can get above our circumstances, if we can get above the things that are going on in our lives and gain God's perspective, things are much clearer. Amen. So I wanna just encourage you today, as we, as we enter into this conversation about a perspective, that God has another perspective for you. And he offers us an opportunity, regardless of the circumstances we're facing in our lives, regardless of the past experiences, the history that we have, the betrayal, the hurt, the disappointments in our life, that God offers us the opportunity through a relationship with him through Christ to gain his perspective of our lives and to live from that perspective and to make informed decisions and lifestyle choices and behavioral patterns that are based in that. So what I want to do is I'm going to take a, we're going to take a look at Psalm 139 for our time together today. And it's going to be a little bit longer reading than we normally do, because I believe that when it comes to this subject, the the Psalmist David has one of the best uh, pictures of God's Perspective of our lives, how God sees our life. And and what I wanna do is I wanna read enough of this just together so that you can get a better picture of how God sees your life, how God thinks about you and how he invites you into this perspective that he has of your life. And so let's look together, Psalm 139 beginning in verse one. It says, O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and you're intimately acquainted with all my ways and even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before and you've laid your hand upon me and such knowledge is so wonderful for me, it's too high, I can't even attain it. In other words, my mind is blown. That's what David was saying. God blew his mind. He said, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take to the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. Amen, isn't that powerful? That no matter what you're facing, no matter how dark the circumstances of your life are, that God says, "Darkness is not that darkness is not dark to him. He, David goes on to say, the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to you. And that is good news. For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Now, if you think about this for a few minutes, if you just stop for a minute to to think through this, David is describing God's perspective of his life, God's vantage point. That's why this is such a powerful passage to to meditate on on a regular basis. It's one of my favorites. I go here often because we're constantly in need of being reminded that God has a different perspective of our lives and he's inviting us to share it with him, to join him in his perspective. And so what I want to do with you uh, for the next for the rest of our time together in just a few minutes is how do we live? How do we live from God's vantage point? How do we get into a position where we can gain God's perspective, God's vantage point? And these these points that I'm going to make today, again, I want to just warn you, there, there's nothing real deep and heavily or profound in these things. These are stuff this is mostly for the most part, these are things that you have heard before. But in this in this setting, in this context, I believe that God's going to help you get a different perspective of your life from this point. So look at the first one. The very first thing I want to point out to you is that in, in, in the, our endeavor to have God's perspective of our life, the first thing we have to do is to know God. It begins with knowing God. Now, again, I'm not talking about knowing about God and building a theology of God. And talk, I'm not talking about a theology. I'm talking about a history. I'm talking about building your own personal history with God. I'm talking about intimacy, I'm talking about the fact that God has designed you and created you to walk and live with him face to face, to have conversation with him, and to recognize that our lives are designed by him for daily, moment by moment, conversation with God. That's what David's describing in this passage, and, and the fact is, is that the, only that type of intimacy brings us into perspective, proper perspective. I remember my oldest son, Sam, when he was uh, just a baby, he was just a few months old. We were at the beach, and uh, he woke up early. He was just a few months old, and I loved getting up early, and we got up, and, and I, I took him and went out and onto the beach, just he and I early in the morning to watch the sun come up. And uh, the sun was just coming up out on the horizon, and it was just a beautiful morning, just spectacular view. The waves are real just soft and gently rolling into the beach, and the sun's just kind of coming up on the horizon. The birds are starting to fly around. There's still, you know, crabs running around on the beach and stuff. And Sam's this tiny little, well, he was, Sam, honestly, he, he, he was just a fat baby. He was huge. This kid was just, but he was short and round, you know. So I'm like hanging out with Sam on the beach and he was just a little kid, so I wasn't gonna just let him go. I was just holding him and and I was holding his, so his feet would touch the ground and let the water kinda come up and run up on his, you know, touch his toes and, you know, and and the waves are coming in and, you know, he's down there and his feet are just barely, but you could tell the more the water came in, the more he encountered this thing, the, the more, he began to become mildly concerned with this whole situation. And he started to kind of, you know, freak out a little bit. <laughs> and uh, and so, so, you know, I could tell it was it just, he was kind of bothered by this. So I picked him up and I just held him. He calmed down a little bit. And then what I did was I, I held him real close to me and I started walking out into the water and we're just chilling. I mean, there's not a lot going on and nobody else is out there. So we're just kind of walking around. And so I'm holding him up real tight close to my chest, and we walk out on the beach. Now, And we walk out until the water's about here. Now, the water is up around Sam, past his waist, and he's just playing and patting the water and giggling and goofing off, and the waves are still coming in and everything. Listen, the circumstances had not changed. The only thing that had changed was Sam's proximity to me. You see, from my perspective, the waves weren't that big a deal. The water wasn't that big a deal, the 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 movement of the water didn't really affect me and so when sam got close enough to me in the secure arms of his daddy with my vantage point the circumstances had not changed but he was at peace he he was just playing in the water and and i just want to encourage you until you learn to live in that level of proximity and, uh, and intimacy with the father you, all of the, all of the w- good, well meaning thoughts and processes and all the things that you, all that stuff's good. And, and, but until you gain God's perspective of your life, you'll never experience that level of peace. The same kind of thing that Sam experienced that day. God wants for you, he's designed you to live in that level of a relationship with him where you're walking with him and you're close to him. And, I, and let's look at, if you, if you think about this, let's look at what David is saying uh, in Psalm 139 in the first few verses as he describes this phenomenon. Now, we're gonna read first one through four and then jump down to verse 17. I wanna, tie, I wanna I'm just show you something. He says, Lord, you've searched me and know me, and you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Now, so when you first read that, you go, well, of course. Basically, David is just describing the fact that God knows everything about our lives, that's not that big a deal. That's part of God's job description. He's omniscient, right? Like God know everything. Check, he's doing that, okay? Right? So that's not really all that impressive. God knows everything about your life. But if you jump down to verse 17, I want you to think of I want you to see how David kind of summarizes this. He says how precious also Are your thoughts to me, O God? How vast is the sum of them? Now, now David is using some conversational language about his interaction with God when he says that God's thoughts are precious, God's thoughts towards him are precious. And and let me just ask you the question, how would David know what God's thoughts were about him except God was telling him what they were? Are you with me? There's a relational, conversational dynamic that David is describing in his relationship with God where there's an interchange, there's a dialogue, there's, a, there's a, 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 a mutual conversation that's going on. God initiating the conversation, David responding. But in that conversation, God is revealing his heart, revealing his thoughts, revealing his perspective of David and his life. Otherwise, David would not have known all these things. Are you with me? And that's how in our proximity to God, in our intimacy with God, we begin to gain his perspective. When we learn to draw near to him, allow him to draw near to us and get close enough that we can hear his thoughts. We can hear his voice through his word and by his spirit as we spend time with him daily. And he reveals to us his perspective of every part of our life. Now, you, you may ask the question, well, how do I get there? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked because that really is the point of this this conversation that we're having today, the fact is, is that to enter into this kind of a relationship with God, it is what he wants for you, it is what he has for you, it is what he's designed your life for, but we begin this conversation with God by simply surrendering to him. It's a real posture of humility, it's that, it's that place of, of, of you've got to, you, you, you have to come to a place of acknowledging that you need him, that he is God and you are not and that he is the author of your life and you are not, and that he is the designer and the, and the, and the author and the, and the initiator in all of our life. And that apart from him, we are nothing and come from and have nothing apart from God. And so when we come to him in that posture of humility, we, when we come to him and say, like a child and say, Lord, I trust you, I'll never forget for me in February 15th, 1990, that day that I came into a relationship with God that I had all the Sunday school book answers. All, I knew the Bible. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in church, but my, the pursuits of my life had led to nothing. And I came to the point in my life where I was desperate and I was humbled and I cried out to God, God save me. I don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment and said, son, I don't want you to try harder. I want you to give up. I want you to give up. And in that moment, amen, and in that moment, there was a transformation that took place, but it began, the conversation with God began with a moment of humility and childlikeness in my faith. Lord, I I just trust you, whatever it means. And, and I think that's why Jesus was so clear about our posture when we come to know God, when, as we draw near to God to have that posture of childlikeness in our faith. In Matthew chapter 18, he's talking uh, to the disciples, and, and, and he's, he, says to this, he, he says this. He said, he called a child to himself and set him before him and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become like this child or children, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. For whoever humbles himself, as this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever receives one such a child in my name receives me. What Jesus is saying is that this act of childlike humility postures us to be able to draw near to God, to be able to be received into God's presence. And you know the thing about children is they just trust. They just they they until you give them a reason not to trust you, parents. They trust you. They do what you say. They believe what you tell them. Think about it. Think about the first time you, you, you're trying to wean your child off of milk and get them on solid food. When that, that first moment comes, you know, and, and you got the child in the, in, the, in the high chair, and here it comes. And, 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 you, and now listen, if you try to start them off on spinach, shame on you. That's wrong. You might make it to heaven, but God's going to have some words for you. But you got to start them out on that blueberry cobbler. Come on. I'm telling you, that's the stuff right there, man. When I was feeding my kids, it was like one for me and one for them. Two for me and one for them. Somebody help me. But think about it. When you start feeding that child solid food, the, the, that, that first time, that kid's not like, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you trying to give me? Is, it, is this, is this non-GMO certified organic, gluten-free? What kind of food are you trying to bring up in here? And by the way, I'm, I'm extra gluten. That's how I roll if y'all want to help Pastor Dave out. Seriously, that child just receives. That child's not going, hey, what are you trying to give me? He's just like this. That's how we approach God. Because God is trustworthy. He's the only trustworthy being in the universe. And he'll never give you a reason not to trust him. And when we humble ourselves and we come to god with that childlike posture of i trust you and i surrender to you then god says come be in my presence and i'm going to give you a perspective that's going to change everything in your life everything in your life that's how god wants us to know him and draw near to him the second thing that we have to do, we have to know God, we have to draw near him to gain his perspective, but the second thing that we have to be able to do to live in a proper perspective of our lives is to know ourselves. We have to know ourselves. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about you know, the, the, the imaginary self that you wanna be. I'm talking about coming to know who it is that God has designed you to be. And you can only know yourself when you know him. I love C.S. Lewis's writings and in Mere Christianity, he unpacks this whole idea of discovering your true self. And his point is that you can only find your real self when you find it in Christ. And that as we draw near to God, our, the more of a, a clear reflection of who we really are and who we're designed to be, the more that, that image becomes clear in our hearts and in our minds. And, and if, you, if you look in back in our, in our Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13, there's a couple of verses where David begins to unpack this. He says that God formed me in my, in, my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully And wonderfully made. Now there's some of us that need to just meditate on that every day. Just accept and agree with and get happy about the person that God has designed us to be. That God didn't make a mistake. He doesn't make any junk. He hasn't made an, he didn't have an accident when he made you. He made one of you. He made it on purpose and you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He goes on to say, wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. In other words, man, I'm happy, I'm excited about who God's made me to be. And the more I understand the me that God intended, the more I like me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I tell you, that's a a great day. The day that you begin to go, you know what? God did a pretty good job. I like me. I don't always love me, but I'm really starting to like me because I'm beginning to understand who I am in Christ. Isn't that right? Now, here's here's the thing. David's describing God's sovereignty in his formation. And when you think about who who it is that God's made you to be, bucket two, I mean, number two, knowing yourself, there's really two general buckets that this falls into. Number one is the bucket of who you are in Christ and your character and behavior. Right? It's the person that it's it's the it's the it's the behavior that goes along with being a son or a daughter of Christ. The Roman Romans chapter 8 says that when we're saved, that we enter into God's family through adoption. That means that you and I, if you're a child of God, literally are print the prince and princesses of the universe. The creator of the universe is our Father. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And of a covenant that God has made with us through His Son through the blood of Jesus, and that we, in, in keeping with that new posture, that new role, that new title, that new position that we're entering into, there are certain ways that you act when you know that your daddy's the king. Are you with me? I remember when I was a little kid, my mom used to say, "Son, that behavior is not becoming of a young man of your stature." And I 'll be like, "I'm not really sure what you mean." because I'm just about having fun. But the older I got, the more I realized that if you, when you know who you are, it determines how you behave, how you act. And listen, as royalty... There are certain things that we, certain responsibilities that we have, certain privileges that we enjoy, and certain behaviors that go along with that that new title, that new role, that new position in Christ. The best explanation of these behaviors are found in the New Testament in two passages, and I just want to look at them quickly. The first one is in Galatians chapter 5. We call them the fruit of the Spirit. And what that is, is it's the behaviors that, that the Holy Spirit is developing in us constantly as he builds our character. Remember, Pastor Eric talked last week about grow, becoming more like Jesus when he's talking about refining gold. Remember, he talked about the process of refining gold and that and the, the, you know when the refining process is complete when you look like the, the refiner. When the master looks into our lives, he should see our reflection. And so as the Holy Spirit's working in us to produce this behavior that we're about to read, that what he's doing is he's constantly allowing situations and circumstances and people and things going on in our lives that will work in us to, produ- to reveal the areas of our life that don't look like him and to produce the fruit, the character of Christ in our lives. Let's read this together. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness. I know this is painful to me, too. I get it. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, you can take this and let it, just make a chart out of it and come home every day and say, Holy Spirit, how'd I do? And line these words up and go, in this situation, I got squeezed. Did Jesus come out? No, some other stuff came out. Okay, we got some work to do in that area of our life. Are you with me? I love this other passage from 1 Corinthians 13. It describes what love really looks like. And it, this is important because the Bible says that God is love. And if our goal is to become like him, then these characteristics that describe perfect love should, becoming, should be becoming increasing in our lives. They should, we, we should becoming, be becoming more like this. Read this one with me. Woof. I know this is just, we're gonna get past this, it's okay, just, um, my name's David, I love you, I'm your friend. But, but we gotta, this is in the Bible, we gotta do this, okay? We're gonna do this, ready, here we go. Love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, it does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked and does not take account a wrong suffered. That means love doesn't keep score, by the way. does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Now in other words the first bucket that relates to who we are, who God's designed us to be is about our character and the Holy Spirit works in us throughout our lives to to produce the character of Christ in us to make us look more like Jesus. The second bucket is really more what David was referring to in Psalm 139, and that bucket contains the, the, the wiring that God's given us, passion and gifts and talents and abilities and desires, those things are really kind of in the second bucket, but they're both being refined constantly as we're being revealed. Who God is, who it is that God has made us, is being more and more clearly revealed. And, if you, and, and as we begin to know who it is that God's made us by way of talent and ability and passion, then those two things start to come together the character and the ability, the talent. To really give us a clear picture of who it is that God's made us, not who we want to be. Does that make sense? I remember when I was, a, uh, when I was a little kid, I used to love to draw race cars. Anybody else? Come on, anybody else draw race cars? I used to draw these triangle race cars. You know, you just draw a triangle and then you put wheels on it and then like exhaust pipes and kind of a windshield and stuff. And it was like a dragster. Anybody do that? Okay, I'm the only one. They were so cool. Whew, awkward. Anyway, uh, so I thought they were really cool, man. So I love, and I love cars and stuff. So I draw these triangle race cars and and, uh, and, and it was kind of cool. And, and I thought I was a pretty good artist and all that stuff. And uh, so as I grew up, when I, when I was a senior, I had to, t- had to pick an elective to fill out my class so I could graduate. I had to, so I picked art. And I was like, man, I remember, listen, I remember the day in math when the teacher introduced compass because I didn't even know how the thing worked, but I knew I could draw perfect, circles for tires on my race cars, on my triangle race cars. I mean, that was a great day for me. So I'm a senior, I pick art, right? And I'm like, how hard is it gonna be? I'm gonna learn how to draw better race cars. So after a week and a half in class, literally it was less than two weeks into school, the art teacher went to the guidance counselor and said, get that kid out of my class. He has less than zero artistic aptitude did he can't draw I I cannot waste a whole semester with this guy get him into something else and so I think I went to shop class or something I don't remember but anyway uh it, it was like a traumatic experience and the fact is you guys remember American Idol you know there's a lot of people that showed up on that show that somebody lied to them along the way somewhere somebody's grandma was not honest somebody should have said hey you have other gifts So we're not talking about like what you wanna be. Here's the thing, I I wanna let you down easy. Don't tell people they can do anything they wanna do. They can't, but let let me qualify that. You can be a 10 at what God designed you to be. Are you with me? In fact, in your zone, In your sweet spot, there is no one on the planet better than you. None. Zero. Because God only made one you. And if you can understand this, if you can embrace, it goes back to trust. It goes back to this trust thing. God made me unique, gifts, talents, abilities, passion, character, and there's only one of me. And, and that really leads us to this third, the third point, and we're going to close with this, but here's the third idea, that, that you can know God and you can know yourself, but to really have a right perspective of your life, you have to know your purpose. You have to know why you're here, why God made you, why you're in this, in this point in, in time and with your talents. Look at what David said in verse 16. He said, "'Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book,' this is amazing, were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. What is David saying? That God has designed not only the substance of our life, but the context in which for them to be realized and fulfilled. God did not just design you and set you out there. He specifically placed you day by day, geographically, in time and in space, in the place and in the relationships that you need to be in to fully realize all that God has made you to be. And when you, when you let that sink in for a second, life begins to take on a whole different meaning. Psalm, in, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul explains this in a, in, a, in a great verse, one of my favorites. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And what, what Paul is saying is that our unique craftsmanship, the, the, the unique Design of our life is set into history in a specific moment so that the good works that God designed that correspond perfectly with the giftedness and the talent and the abilities and the passions that we have could be fulfilled by us at that moment in history. That means that our, that God places us at a certain point in time in which our personhood directly corresponds to specific. Purposes in history that's unique to us. The purposes for which you are designed, no one else is designed. The purposes that they were designed for, you are not designed. And what that means is that you are the only perfect match for your purpose. You are the only perfect match for your purpose. I'm going to let you think about that for a second because the implications, especially in relationship to the gospel and to eternity, is that there are people that God has placed you on this planet to have an impact on. To make a difference in their lives that no one else no one else is designed to make that same impact in their life eternity is in the balance here people's lives are at stake and the fact is is that god wants to use you in specific ways at specific moments in history and the implication of that is that if you don't do it it may not get done and people's lives are in the balance Because remember, your purpose is always connected. It's not about your job or your career. Yes, of course, some of those things play in. But ultimately, the design of God, the hand of God on your life is about the fulfillment of the Great Commission, bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's about bringing the kingdom of heaven to be established in the earth. That's what God made you for. Now, again, I'm gonna close with this, and and I I was thinking about this this week as we were putting the message together. It being the 4th of July, the 241 years we're celebrating as a nation. And uh, I I think it's appropriate to mention this, uh, that in America, God has sovereignly placed us in America, whether you're a citizen or a resident. And if you're watching online uh, from another country, I just wanna encourage you to try to contextualize this point in in your setting. Uh, in where you live, but the fact is, is that if you're in America, whether a citizen or a resident, that God has sovereignly placed you. He wrote in His book of your days that you are going to be here at this moment in history, and that as a in America we have, and you saw the quotes that that uh, in the video announcements and Pastor Randy talked about this, that we have not just the freedom and the resources to be involved in the gospel, in the spreading of the gospel on a daily basis, but we have a mandate because of the the foundation of our country, that the vision that God gave to our founding fathers for this nation was not just that we have a free country, but that we be free so that we could spread the gospel of the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. In fact, did you know this? 106 out of the 108 first 108 colleges and universities in America were founded by Christians for the sole specific purpose of training Christians in the scripture to spread the gospel for effective gospel ministry. 106 out of 108. I'm talking about schools like Harvard and Princeton and Yale and Dartmouth and William and Mary and Brown and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Yes, they have departed far from their original, but if you look at the the founding documents of of these schools, they were established for the sake of the gospel. And we have a unique perspective as Americans, as even living in America, even if you're not a citizen, to be involved because of the freedom, the resources, and the mandate upon us as a nation to be involved daily in the spread of the gospel, both here at home and abroad. And I'm gonna close with this quote. And I, 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 again, the quotes that we had in the video announcements were so powerful, but I just wanna read you this quote by John Quincy Adams, uh, the sixth president of the United States, who's a diplomat and an anti-slavery advocate. This perspective, this, to get this divine perspective of your, of your life, listen to what he says. The hope of a Christian is inseparable from his faith. Whoever believes in the divine inspiration of the holy scriptures must hope that the religion of Jesus shall prevail throughout the earth. Never since the foundation of the world have the prospects of mankind been more encouraging to that hope than they appear to be at the present time, and I think you could say that today, and made the associated distribution of the Bible proceed and prosper till the Lord shall have made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. I want to ask you to stand with me as we close today. At all of our campuses, I wanna ask our campus pastors to go ahead and make your way to the stage. I wanna leave you today encouraged, yes, but challenged also. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price and left here with a unique design a unique purpose in a specific moment in history to do things that only you can do, only you can do. And and I just wanna, I want you to feel a little bit of the urgency. I want you to have a great week, to feel encouraged and built up, celebrate the 4th of July on Tuesday. But I, I want you to feel a little bit of the weight, the responsibility of the stewardship that God has given you that comes with divine perspective. To know him, to know yourself, to know your purpose and to live in a manner that's consistent with the call of God upon you as a son or a daughter, an emissary of the kingdom of heaven. Our ministry team's gonna be here for you if you need prayer. If you're not sure about your relationship with Christ, it all starts there. This is not a self-help talk. This is a God help me talk. Until you know Him, the other rest of it's not going to make sense. But we can talk to you today. You can you can leave here knowing for sure about your relationship with Christ. So, our team will be here. Please come. Let them pray for you. Father, we love you. We thank you today for your Word for for the privilege that we do have for the the life that we live the the the, the privileges that we have that we experience that we that we have as your kids, Lord. And I pray that today that that as we have freely received, that we would freely give, that we would give ourselves, Lord, to your purposes from a posture of knowing you and knowing who you've made us to be. Fill our hearts with courage to be the sons and daughters, the the men and women, boys and girls that you've created us to be. And and God, as we go from this place, I pray that you would surround us with your favors with a shield, that you would keep us in your peace until we come together again, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.